0: Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Anna, you're on fire tonight, Anna. (laughs) I love that energy, I love that energy. Guys, I just wanna encourage you, first of all, my wife wrote the Bible study for the ladies, Hope Renewed. I wanna encourage you to jump on that, however it fits you, whether it's individually, uh, whether it's in a, we have people meeting to do that, or online, if you wanna do that, just go to newvision.city. Um, it's a four-week study. Um, there's questions. You can, it's all free. You can download it, print it out. Um, the videos are all online, ready to done, ready already done. I just wanna encourage you to do that. We, we need that right now. Ladies, you need that right now. Uh, all of us need that right now, but I just want to encourage, my wife just wanted to encourage the women, and so I'm giving a shout out on behalf of my wife because she put a lot of work into making that happen for you guys and stuff. So, hey, I just wanted to announce that we are not having an evening service next Sunday. Um, guys, it's Super Bowl Sunday and a lot of people are watching the Super Bowl. So, <laughs> I'm not gonna fight with that one, um, but, uh, but that's a really great time to be with your family and friends if you have, want those things, or whatever, and just be having a great time. Usually we do a bit all church big thing usually on Super Bowl Sunday and watch it on the big screen out at the City Heights campus, but because of COVID, we kind of kept that distance a little bit. Um, and usually we've done that for many years together as a family, but um, we're going to let you guys be with your family on on, uh, on next Sunday night as that's a, a game a lot of people just like to do as family and community. And we really want to promote that time uh, with your family and, and having that. So there won't be, but we'll be back on the following week, continuing on with the Gospel of Mark and doing that. So if you have your Bibles tonight, open up to Mark chapter 11. Um, we're continuing on. We've been journeying through the Gospel of Mark. I hope you've been blessed. It is. We've been looking at Mark's study, um, the young Mark, the young man that was there. Uh, at the Lord's Supper as a little kid, the young man that was at the garden when ran away butt naked when things were running away. That's the young man, John Mark. That's the young man who went on the first missionary journey and ran away and went back home with, with Barnabas and Paul. This is the young man that wrote the Gospel of Mark. And so he's being, it's been translated probably by Peter as he's written these words down. And now we're coming in to the final week. Actually, verse uh, chapter 11, all the way to the end of the book is really the last week, it's the Passover week. We've been journeying through this study with the gospel of Mark, hoping as we've been going through the word, it's been going through you. And so we're coming to chapter 11, uh, looking at verses 1 through 19 tonight. I, I, as parents, for many of you might understand this, as parents, there are certain moments that you want to catch. There, there are one in a lifetime moments, obviously remembering the birth of your children, the first steps that they walk, the first words that they speak, their first birthdays their first day of schools, their, their graduations. All these moments are significant in their lives and in your life. I think of even college graduations or even marriages. These are moments that we got to catch. We catch his parents. These are moments that we savor. These are moments that we etch into our own history and narrative as a family. And in chapter 11, we're coming to a crucial time in Jesus' life. And Jesus wants to catch the disciples in this very moment. It's, it's a week they won't forget, and it will be etched in their minds forever. You're going to start entering to the triumphal entry in, in chapter 11, the Last Supper, the betrayal, the beatings, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. When he enters into the last week, we're going into that moment, into, into those things that we study, we know, we celebrate. We have to catch these moments, and tonight I hope to you would catch this moment as we journey through the last week of Jesus' life as we look at chapter 11. We know this in chapter 11 as the Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' life. He's traveling, traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem, and his first stop is in Bethany, most likely at the house of Lazarus, and one whom he raised from the dead, we read about in John 11. We're going to start that week tonight as we get into it. And we're going to celebrate it tonight. So before we do, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. We thank you tonight, Lord, as we enter into the study of Mark chapter 11. We pray that, Lord, you'd open up our hearts to understand the significance of this week. The significance of where you're going and why that's so important. Lord, why these words are important. Why we study this word is important. Because it still speaks to us. And it still speaks the heart of your people. And I pray for those that are here tonight, as they're hearing the word, you're, you're building their faith. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing your word. And Lord, I don't know where each of those are here tonight, but I know that you have a word for them. You have a rima for them. You have something special for them. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak tonight. Because the Holy Spirit still speaks. I pray that we would have ears to hear and a heart to receive. I thank you. I praise you. I honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Guys, as we begin this journey in chapter 11, the first thing we're gonna see tonight is the celebration of Jesus' arrival. We're celebrating Jesus' arrival. We're seeing that in verses one through 11. Celebrations are important. We had a celebration today, a baptism. We celebrated people's lives that were immersed in Christ. All those who were baptized, stand up a little bit. Who are here? I know we see some in the back. Who are baptized? I know we see some over here, some in the back, some over there. There's some in the back here. Listen, yeah, cheer them on. We are celebrating tonight. You know what? Jesus loves parties. You know, back in the day before you knew Christ, you love parties. I love parties, all right? But Jesus still had parties and he would go to parties. And there's a big party going to happen in Jerusalem right now where they're going to be throwing branches and they'll be throwing coats and they're going to be laying it all out. There's a party. we have to begin to be OK to celebrate, to raise our hands, to clap, to shout, to jump. Right, Anna? I know y'all be like, "Woo!" you know what I mean? It's okay. You know, sometimes at church we all like, "Thank you, Jesus!" No, but no one, nobody' want to come to church. I wouldn't want to come to church, and I'm the pastor. Listen. It's okay to have a good time and celebrate in Jesus. And they're going to have a celebration here in a moment. They're preparing for the arrival of Jesus, the man of the hour. They're preparing for the celebration of his triumphal entry right now. But before that happens, there's a prophetic words for his disciples. Jesus is going to set up this entry. Jesus is setting up for the party. Jesus is setting up everything that's going on right now. Look at verse one, now when they drew near Jerusalem, so they're on their way to Jerusalem, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent, two of his, he sent two of his disciples. So they're traveling and they make a stop before they get into Jerusalem, into Bethany, just outside the city of Jerusalem, probably a few miles outside the city of Jerusalem, most likely at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He would, Jesus would often stay with them. He knew this family. He knew them how they were related and he would oftentimes commute to the city from there. Like, Lazarus is the one we know in John chapter 11 that Jesus raised from the dead. You know the story in John 11. Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Mary and Martha, the busy one, right? I mean, Mary was the one who sat at for Jesus, but Martha was the busy one. Their brother was Lazarus. He had died. Jesus comes, resurrects Lazarus, and it says, I am the resurrection of the life he gives a sneak preview about what's going to come. And so I find it interesting that he stops at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Why? Because he's going to go to the cross. You've experienced the resurrection, Lazarus. Mary, Martha, you saw the resurrection, but let me tell you something, I'm heading to do the same thing, and I'm going to be resurrected. I think it's a beginning, the picture of saying, look at some crazy stuff's going to happen soon. But he stops at a family member's house, right? And we know this is a week from his resurrections. Near the Mount of Olives, a very strategic mountain. It's at this mountain that Jesus begins to speak about his future. It's at this mountain he gives revelation of who he is and what he will do. And we know Gethsemane is located on the mountain where Jesus will be arrested, where Jesus will be praying, where Jesus will be in the garden. Very significant place. I was there when we went to Israel. We got to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and see it with all the olive trees. And we got to pray where Jesus prayed and pray where Jesus is now. These are significant places in the scriptures that have moments that we got to capture. Moments in the scriptures. Moments in our history as we look at God's history being laid out. They're specific places. But what he's going to do is, Jesus is going to become the peace offering here in a moment. Look at verses two and three. And he said to them, go into the village opposite you and soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loosen it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? If anybody says, why are you taking my stuff? Right? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. Hmm. Go to a village. We know that Jerusalem is his destination. We know Jerusalem is where he's headed toward. It's the house of peace. And we know that Jesus is gonna be the peace offering at the end of the week. He's gonna be the Passover lamb. He's going to be the bread of life because we know that he was born in Bethlehem. He's going to Jerusalem to be offered as the the sacrifice, as the Passover, as the peace offering, right? I know this morning, or this evening, that he sends, we see here that Jesus gives a direction to his disciples. Go into the village to you, and as soon as you enter it, you will find a coat tied, He's giving a a prophetic, Think he's giving a voice, this is what I want you to do and this is what's gonna happen. You know, think about if you're at home and you tell your kids, hey, uh, go down the street and you're gonna find this car right here and go ahead and take it. And they ask, why are you taking my car? say, I have need of it. (laughs) We get arrested for that. But but Jesus said, go to this place, you're gonna find these things and you're gonna take it. If they ask it, just say the Lord needs it. Man, that's powerful. Right. I mean, think about it for a minute. He's laying out a direction, and it's going to happen. He's giving him a prophecy. He's, he's professing, this is what's going to happen. This is what's, how it's all going to play out. He's giving instruction to it. Some believe that maybe Lazarus might have owned that cult. We don't know. But I find it very interesting. He said, take that cult that nobody's ever ridden on. Interesting description if a coat has never been ridden on, it probably hasn't been trained. It probably hasn't been saddled. It probably hasn't been any of the things. But yet, you see that Jesus is going to ride in on this coat. He's going to ride in on this donkey. You see that God of the flesh has master over his creation. You see that. You see here that God here is just bringing revelation. He's telling what's going on, but he has this power and he has this authority. But also, He's fulfilling the very scripture we found in Zechariah 9, 9, which says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout out, daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a coat and the foal of a donkey. So you say, hey, go get this donkey. But we already hear that this donkey was promised back way thousands of years before that by a prophet. Man, you don't think the Bible's connected together? It's, 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 Jesus is connecting the dots here. Here I am. I'm the Messiah of the Old Testament we talked about, but look at, I'm going to go to the cross and this is what's going to happen. He's beginning to give directions to his disciples and I love it about the disciples. They obey his command. Let me tell you something tonight, guys. God gives us commands to obey. We need to obey them and trust them even when they don't make no sense. Wait a minute, you want to go borrow a, a coat? Can you imagine the disciples who sent him out? He goes, are you going to ask? No, you can ask. I don't know, there, nobody. Do you know how to get there? I know it's in Jerusalem. We're going to look for, like, it's like they're trying to get there, and then they're going to say, okay, I think that's it. Let's just take it and see what happens. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think in mind how this was being played out. We read it, but we don't think about the process that took to make that happen. And what was going on in their hearts and their minds, And like, am I going to get like taken, you know, I'm going to get gaffled up or something if I take this, take this cult? But by faith, they went. And by faith, they trusted. And by faith, they went and followed the commands of God. Guys, I'm challenging you today in a world that doesn't like to have authority, doesn't like to obey anybody. God says, you want to be blessed? Obey my word. You want to see what happens? Obey my word. I want obedience better than sacrifice. Obedience is what God wants in our life. Because the Bible says, if you love me, you obey my commands. If you love me, you obey what I say. It's not because we have to obey, it's an outpouring of our own love and obedience to God. God, I trust you at your word. You said to go and I'm gonna gonna go because you said so. And I think that's what the disciples were doing. They were going because what? Because God commanded them to go and they were were following that. Now, when a king came riding on white horses into the city, it was to judge and destroy the city. I find it interesting that Jesus is turning on a white horse in Revelation 6.19. But listen to this. When a king's riding on a donkey or a colt into the city, it means he's coming in peace. Jesus is coming as the peacemaker. He's coming as the peacemaker. Peter preaches in Act 10:36. these words to Cornelius. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You remember, when, when in Acts 10, Paul went into Cornelius's house. Actually, Peter went into Cornelius's house in Acts 10. Who was a Gentile man? That's the beginning of the Pentecost in some ways, or the, the pouring of the Spirit upon the Gentiles, because Jesus was the peace offering we see here. But I find that it says, you go, look for it, and if anybody asks you, it says, What the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. Man, that animal had a purpose. That animal had a calling. That animal was sanctified. The word sanctified means to be set apart. It was set apart for a purpose, this, this beast, this animal, this colt. If God has a call on that man, animal, how much does he have a call on us? That he set us apart for a purpose. Been sanctified and set apart. You know these chairs are sanctified chairs you're sitting on. Right, what? Yeah, they're sanctified to put your bottoms on it. Right, the word set apart means we have purposed them right here for you to sit on them to hear the word. That's their purpose. That's their call. But each of you have a call. Each of you have a purpose. Each of you have been set apart for God's kingdom. Yeah. Never underestimate the call of God in your life. Never underestimate the appointed things that He's done. I'm not blown away by Rob's story. You know, many of you know Rob and Sandra's story. We met him at an outreach. like we met a lot of you at our outreaches. And now he's a pastor. Now he's called by God. Many years later, he's come and God has raised him up in his wife and now he's a pastor. God has set him apart and called him. And each of you, he's called for a purpose. You may not know your call yet. You may not say, like, what's my purpose, God? Why am I here? Everybody else seems to know their purpose. Well, but what's my purpose? Your purpose is to glorify God. Your purpose is to use the gifts he's given you. Your purpose is to proclaim his gospel. Your purpose is to love him and honor him. That's your purpose. And whatever place he's put you, that's your purpose. Sometimes we get confused of why we're here on this earth. The purpose for this cult was to bring Jesus into the city. Even he had purposes in his own creation. I think about all the things that God needed. He needed this cult, but here we know when he came, he needed a manger. He needed a boat. He needed a donkey. He needed an upper room, and he needed a tomb. He needed a lot of things to fulfill his call and his purpose. You know what? He needs us too. He needs us to live out his mission and his purpose. God's going to invest in us. And guess what? He wants an ROI. You know what that means? A return on investment. God invested us. He wants a return on his investment. We're so blessed because we have a God that's invested in us. I was sharing, I was able to share um, on a web uh, interview this week about discipleship and about what it means to mentor people, what it means to disciple people, what it means to pour into people. And I, and I share with them, people say, well, Pastor, how, can, how did you get to where you are? How do, how do you get to the ministry? And it seems like God's doing this great work. And I said, you know what? I said, the success of this ministry isn't Pete. The success of the ministry is the, is the people around Pete. Because the people around Pete only makes you successful. This isn't a work of Pete. This is a work of God and a work of his people. That's, that's the ministry. That's what, how God moves and, and how God works and the pieces and the body, how it goes together. And we see that here. God wants a return on his investment and it's people worshiping and honoring him. But we know that when God's beginning to do this work and Jesus is gonna go and he's gonna provide an animal, a beast to allow his triumphal entry. And we see provision provide. Look at four through seven. So they went their way and found the coat tied by the door outside on the street and they loosened it. But some of those who stood there said, what are you doing loosening that coat? Not a coat, a coat. (laughs) And they spoke to them just as Jesus commanded and so they let them go and they said, they bought the coat to Jesus and threw their clothes on it and he sat on it, right? The disciples obeyed Jesus, okay? They found the coat as Jesus said just exactly as his word had said, right? It happened just, as it com- just happened as he commanded. I think God's word is true. God's word is true, right? Think about the wedding of Canaan, the first wedding. We read in the Gospel of John, and we read in it about he's in Judea, he's in Jerusalem, first wedding, and they run out of wine. And they don't know what to do. And his mom says, "What? Oh, just listen to my son. Listen to me. He'll just do what he says." And 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 I, the servants they're panicking. You know what I mean? They're like, "Whoa, we don't have no more. It's a wedding. We don't got no more to celebrate. No more drink." And Jesus is like, "Mom, shut up. It's not my time yet." But the mom says, "Just do what he says." And so Jesus said, "Get some water. Boom, make wine." And that's what they, and it was the best wine, better than the original wine. Better than the first wine. And the, the, the people at the party, the group, all of them were like, wow, you brought the best wine out. Usually the best wine's beginning, and then you got the cheap wine at the end. But no, you brought the best wine later. But why? Because the servants saw the miracle of Jesus. They obeyed, and they saw the miracle of Jesus. Maybe you don't have no faith today. Maybe you, don't even, you haven't put your trust in Jesus. But I'm going to challenge you with this. Just do one thing that Jesus commanded you and see how he works. I bet you it strengthens your faith because he's going to honor your obedience. And that's what happened at the wedding party. Jesus brought the wine out and he blessed and they watched it and they saw it. Even when it wasn't his time to reveal himself because he said, mom, it's not my time yet. Meaning people don't know who I am yet. I I got some work to do still. Right? And then the disciples came, they had the coat and they brought him to Jesus and they threw their coats on the coat for the king. Because when you throw a coat on, that's the custom you do for a king. We're gonna see later, go throw coats on the floor, but they put it on the donkey. And guess what? They're gonna have their praise on in a minute here, right? They're gonna be praising in his coming here, like it becomes Palm Sunday now. They've been in Bethany, now entering into Jerusalem in verse 8. And it says, And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from trees and spread them on the road. We call that Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. The last Sunday in March this year is Palm Sunday, and then Easter is on April 4th. We have a Palm, so we remember that day. There's those moments that we need to remember. It's here that many are are in some ways confessing Jesus publicly. They're acknowledging Jesus as as the Messiah. We know that he was coming from Jericho to Jerusalem, I said earlier. Jericho, many you know the story of Jericho, Joshua trees, the, the walls came down in Jericho, the Jericho walls. It's known as the city of palms. Many believe that's where they got the palm trees from or the palms from, and they brought it to, to lay it on the ground and to wave it and the coats on the ground to, to wave those things. That's where many believe the palms came from. But we know that also, as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, it's a city on a hill, and many, many people are coming. It's the Passover time. It's the Passover. They, they, they practiced the Passover in Jerusalem. They remembered all the way back to Exodus, all the way back to the sacrifice of the Passover lamb where they had to put blood on the doorpost. And so they celebrated and they remembered it. This was that time. This is that we entered into Passover, into the same. So this coming in to Jesus into the last week, there would have been thousands of people that would have been there. Their city would have been overflowing. It would have been packed. So when he enters in on a donkey and they're, they're praising God and they're waving the palms and they're doing that, it must have been a big crowd. It must have been a big crowd. They were practicing the, the, also the, the festival of booths of them living in the wilderness under the stars. Leviticus twenty three forty says this. On the first day, you are to take choice fruits from the trees and palm fronds, leafy branches and and poplars and rejoice before the Lord, your God, for seven days. This is seven days before he goes to the cross. Seven days. We see that. It's the beginning. It's a Sunday. And the people begin to express their praise. It's a passion of praise in 9 through 10. Look at this. And then those who went before the Lord who fall and cried out saying, Hosanna! Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blesses the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest! Man, they're just shouting it. They're screaming it. They're worshiping. Man, we gotta praise God like I, nobody really matters. What we just praising, right. singing. When we praise God, we're just expressing ourselves in His goodness, in His glory, and His faithfulness. That's the power of worship. The word Hosanna means it's a great exaltation, means save, save us now. He's quoting Psalm 118 25. Save us! Hosanna! The Messiah! Now, maybe their praise was the praise on because they thought Jesus was going to be a physical king, because many of the people there didn't like the Roman government. You remember when Jesus, tried to, when Jesus fed the 5,000? What did they do? They tried to make Jesus a king. You remember that? And Jesus said, I, I, my world is not of this kingdom. And in fact, he put the disciples in a boat and he said, you go and I'm going and you get out of this mess because I'm not a king of this world. There's another who's the king of this world. His name is Satan. He's the God and king of this world. This world's gonna fade away. We read that in 2 Peter. This world's gonna burn up a fire. This world's gonna pass and we're gonna get a new kingdom, a new place, a new home. For eternity, it's a beautiful garden city that we're going to get. Can you imagine in this city, there's, there's, there's rivers of water and there's trees along the river. This is Revelation. There's trees along the river. And if you read it, it says this, every month the fruit change on those trees. Read it. It's in Revelation. Man, it's like one, one month is apple trees. Next, next month it's orange trees. I don't know what kind of fruit they have, but the, the fruit's going to always be changing. So you're vegans, you're going to love it in heaven. Okay? Hey, man, thank you for praying and fasting this week. Right? You guys have been praying and fasting for 21 days. Today was the last day you could break your fast, right? We've been doing the Daniel fast here at New Vision. I had me some carne asada for lunch today. You know what I mean? With my family and my kids are in town and stuff. But in heaven, it's going to be a place. Man, there's a banquety table. It's Mary's Supper's of the Lamb. It's going to be a beautiful place here. But he says, I'm not building this kingdom. I'm building the kingdom. This kingdom is going to pass away. But what do we see? We, we see that Jesus enters into the temple. He's prevailing the temple. It's very significant. And Jesus went into the Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, He went out to Bethany with the 12. He came in and checked it out. What's going on in my house? What's happening in my house? I think God does the same thing. What's happening in my house today? Right? He's looking at the condition of the temple. And I know things are troubling by what he sees. He's troubled in his heart by what he sees. And so he has to get away and reflect for a moment. Because he saw the condition of the temple. But he'll address it. We know he'll address it. I'm praying that this house, the place that we gather, the temple is, first of all, not just the building, but the temple is this. What are we allowed in our own house? What are we allowed in here, in the temple of God? We we praise God because God dwells in the temple, which he dwells in us. And darkness alike light cannot dwell together. So God, may this temple be pure, may it be honorable, may it be glorifying to you. And so we see here this, this welcome, this, this event, this, this prophetic word that's coming as you enter into Jerusalem. But on his way, he, he takes a moment and he sees this fig tree. It's a cursing of the fig tree in 12 through 14. It's a fruitless tree. Look at it, it says this. Now, the next day when he had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. Morning time. He hadn't had any breakfast yet. Okay? And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it, but when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And in the response, he said, let no one eat from you ever again, and the disciples heard it. Right? Now, we know that, Fig trees are symbolic of Israel. Jeremiah 8, Nahum 3, Hosea 9, it's symbolic of that. represents that, the fig tree. And he's comparing Israel as a fruitless tree. Remember, Israel, the Jewish people, were God's chosen people. They were the apple of his eye, but when he came to his own, they didn't receive his own. They didn't see Jesus as the Messiah. They didn't see him as the coming one, Right? And what did they do? You saw many of the Jews at the time, they, they held on to the law, they, they held on to their Jewish practices, they held on to their ceremonies, They held on, and they worshiped those things more than they worshiped God. They lived by the law. They lived by the rules. They, they obeyed the Sabbath. The reason they crucified Jesus and they had to take him down because they knew the Sabbath was coming. They had to take him down before the Sabbath so they could practice the Sabbath worship. Like we murdered, we violated one of the law, but tried to hold up another part of the law. How can you do that? Right. And they believe because they had the oracles of God or the word of God that salvation came because they were the chosen people by God. But what Jesus is saying is you have an outward appearance. Your cup is beautiful on the outside, but it's dirty on the inside. See, we, it says when he looked at the tree, it was a fig tree. He called it a fig tree. So we expected to bear to be figs on that tree, but it, well, there was no figs on that tree. Guys, Israel looked nice on the outside, but it wears bearing the fruit that it was called to bear. But how much more of us, if we call ourselves believers and followers of Jesus, we might look great on the outside, but we're not bearing any fruit—the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of love, kindness, goodness, mercy, self-control (Galatians 5:22 and 23). See, that's really the mark of the believer. The mark of the believer is the fruits of the Spirit. The mark of the believer is one who lives out in obedience to God. He bears much fruit. He goes, what? You'll know my disciple if you love one another because that's a fruit of the Spirit. Right? A good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruits. You'll know them by their fruits. You'll know them if they're followers of Jesus by their lives and the fruits that they bear, and how they witness, and how they walk, and how they talk, and how they act, and who they worship. That's the transformation of what God does in our lives. We're the Bible, we're the only Bible that people read. First, Pastor Nate talked about that last week. We are the Testament, the New Testament people. When they begin to question Paul's authority by which he came from and how he came. He said, you know what? They're asking, give us your credential, Paul. We want, we want, your, we want your, uh, your seminary uh, diploma. By what authority you come. Well, who gave you this? And he said, you, know what he, you know what Paul said? You want to you you see my stinking badges? Let me show you who my stinking badge is. It's those people over there who are walking in obedience to God. It's the people that got saved. That's the fruit. That's the fruit of the spirit. That's the fruit of my life. Paul was talking about the keys to to the believers bearing much fruit. The Bible says if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. We gotta stay connected. Stay connected to God. God is the one who bears fruit. You're only the branch, you're only the vessel. When John came on the sea, John the Baptist came on the sea, he was only agent of the light. He wasn't the light, but he was the agent of the light. Right? He was the lamp. He wasn't the fire. He was the lamp that which the oil worked through so the fire could be seen and the light could be seen. Guys, we are the vessels of God. We are the lamp of God. We are the agents of God. That we could bear much fruit. We wanna change this world? Just walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Just walk in the fruit of the Spirit. What we're seeing today is people not walking in the the peace and the love of Jesus. People are getting wounded, and people are getting hurt. People are getting killed. We live in a broken, fragile world because we haven't learned how to love like God commanded us to love. And so Jesus is pouring out here, he cursed that fig tree he cut the Jews off. Remember, they came to his own, but his own did receive him. I find it interesting. You know, God's love it, it it spreads. You know how he he got the Jews mad? He accepted the Gentiles. <laughs> he, go, I'm going to expand my bride. I'm going to expand my kingdom. I'm going to expand my church, because the Jews hated the Gentiles. But God had already been doing that work. He'd already been doing that work. Look at the the lineage of Jesus. Look at Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 3 and and the people that are in that lineage. There were women and people in there that were not Jewish in the lineage. Rahab wasn't Jewish. Rahab was a, a prostitute, right? In the lineage of Jesus. Come on now. Like... Like we think it's got to be all the straight line of things. No, 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 man. Let me show you my grace and mercy. Let me show you my compassion. Let me show you how this works. And you see it even in the lineage of God accepting. He's cutting off a people. A self-righteous people. And he closes with this, with a cleansing of the temple. We see him earlier checking out the temple, and I think his heart was troubled. Now he comes back as is going to deal with the temple. It's so the next day. He, Palm Sunday, the next day he curses the tree. And then we see here, continue on that day, right? He's turning the tables of 15 through 17. So they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. You misused my house. You used it for selfish gains. You used it for merchandising. I don't know, maybe they were selling Christian t shirts. Maybe they. Maybe they're selling bobblehead Jesuses. Man, we come up with some crazy stuff, don't we as a church? We market the church, we sell it, we come up with all these, you know, let's market this, let's do this, let's do that. I don't know what Jesus thinks about all that. I wonder what he thinks about branding and all that. I mean, I I know, I get it. I've looked at marketing, I I get it. But you know what I'm gonna market? I wanna brand, I wanna brand Jesus. I want mark it, Jesus. And we see here Jesus stepping into this temple, right? And he had anger. He was angry. Yeah, but he had justified anger. You turned my house of prayer into the den of thieves. You'd gotten away from the purpose of my house. You lost your way with the purpose of my house. I'm praying that our campuses, City Heights and Canto and Lemon Grove, Is a house that God Jesus is gonna be living in, is a house that Jesus, his spirit is found in. Like the temple where the Shekinah glory came, and the presence of God was there. And you, as God's people, will sense his presence there. That's his house. It's a house where we prayed, and we've been praying for 21 days. It's a house where we call out to God. It's a house where we hear from him. But he changed, he chased out the money changers and the swindlers. We know that. They were to buy, people came there to buy sacrifices, doves or whatever they needed to for sacrifices, but they were merchandising the people, selling them beyond those prices and above those prices, kind of like the tax collectors ripping off their own people. And they were pocketing the money. He was beginning to clean house. And he's starting with the house of Israel. But did not, did not the word say that when judgments comes, he's first, first going to judge the household of God. We are so easy to judge the world out there. But he says the first judgment is going to be the household of God. It's going to be us. It's going to be us. What is he doing? Jesus is quoting when he quotes that this is a house of prayer. And you, you know, you turn it into identity. He's quoting Isaiah 56, 6, 7. He's quoting Jeremiah 7:11. What he's saying is you're robbing from my people. You're robbing them of God. I think people can misunderstand the purpose of God's house. No, we're called to serve. This house is called to serve people. But let me tell you, we're not a social service agency. Okay? We're not the welfare system. We're not the welfare office. We're not, that's not our purpose. Though we serve and we feed those that are hungry and we give wadi to those that are thirsty and we bless those that are in need and we serve. And that's what we do and many of you have been blessed by the ministries that have come up. When people are hungry, we have food to be given at the food pantry, At the, we have different places, things you can get served, those are all good. This is how Jesus, he met physical needs. But what happened to the church is it becomes a, a welfare system, it becomes a, a food pantry first or it becomes a this first. But that's not our mission, that's not our purpose. Our purpose as a church is to help people grow in their faith, to help people a relationship with God and to, to preach the gospel. That's our mission and that's our purpose, to learn how to have fellowship with God. A lot of times people come to church to see what they can get. God knows the heart of men. God knows the heart of men. But get back to a place of prayer. Get to a place of seeking And when Jesus came in, and he starts turning over the tables, he set off the hornet's nests. I remember um, when I was a young kid, you know, stupid kids do stupid things. So what do you think? Oh, we started looking and messing with, it and then we started getting rocks. And stuff, and we start like just—we're trying to hit the the beehive, you know. We're trying to hit it, like we think we're great pitchers. Like I bet you, I can get it. And we throw this big rock, and we hit it right in, and the bees just went, and then they started coming. Like, and we're like, ah, we're just running, running away from it because it just burst open the beehive, and bees were everywhere. Jesus just busted open the beehive here, and the religious leaders are the bees, and they're going after Jesus now. That's what we're going to see here. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and saw how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teachings. When evening came, he went out of the city. He rattled the hornet's nest, the bee nest here. And the religious leaders were upset because the religious leaders were benefiting from this. He disrupted their lives, Right? Their hearts turned, right? It says here, and the scribes, he's heard and sought how they might destroy him. The bitterness of heart. The hardness of heart. There it is. These are the priests. It says the priests, the scribes. The scribes are the, the people of the law. They would have understood the law. They would have understood the Ten Commandments that thou shalt not kill. The priests were to serve the people and to honor the people, and these men conspired to kill Jesus. That's how blind they were. Jesus was justified in his anger. He had righteous anger. Read Ephesians, talks about that, right? Be angry, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. But what we see here is that he started this horniness, and then you see the heart of men that want to kill Jesus, right? These double-minded men that wanted to come after Jesus. They sought after him with the purpose of destroying him or killing him. You know, when we walk enough into our mess and enough into our own sin, God will turn us over to our own sin. You read Romans chapter one, it says, I'll turn you over to your own debased mind. You want it enough, I'll give it to you. You want it enough, I'll give it to you. I was watching, a, I grew up in East LA and I was last night I was watching on the History Channel the history of the Bloods and the Crips. Back in the early 60s and 70s, when I was about 10 years old, I was was going on around 70, 70, when I talked about a young man named Washington who started the Crip Gang in in L.A. And how he talked about how when they started, they used to fight with their hands and their fists. But then... It all changed, and they went to guns and drive-bys. And the drive-that's where we got the drive-by story when they started using drive-bys. In fact, they were going against Crips against Bloods. But then, and what happened in, in, out in Compton and South Central, it had been so, so um, div- divided that it was Crips against Crips. They were trying to get power. Washington was so upset that it had changed. It was, he was so upset they went away from just being men of fighting to use guns that he tried to speak out against it. And one night, when he was 26 years old, these guys came up and shot him and killed him at 26 years old. The one who originally started these gangs, the history of these, these gangs. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. And I, I was watching that story, and I was just troubled, because there were, it, it talked about the history of these gangs over a period of 10 years, and how many people had been killed by gang violence. I mean, I think of our own streets. I think of our own communities. I think about the the lostness of people, the hardness of people. That, guys, we may be in such pain in our lives that we even forget how to feel anymore. The Bible says be careful that your heart don't get calloused. He says that we need to be circumcised of the heart. means we need to let God deal with the heart and soften our heart. But this world out here, make you callous. This world out here, will make you a place where you don't care anymore. Look at what's happened this last year and what we've seen and the callousness of our own hearts. These men wanted to destroy Jesus and God turned them over to their own hearts to destroy. Men who should have been serving God and worshiping God and honoring God and serving the people became murderers. The Bible says if you even hate your own brother is as if you committed murder. Damn. God, God in my heart. Church, we can get like that. We can get resentful and anger and bitter in our own hearts. God, search me, God. Search my heart, oh God, and find any evil way in it, any wicked way in it. Clean my heart, oh God. May that be our prayer. May that be what God does in, in our hearts. Because we can not only we can be embittered by our wives or our husband, we can be embittered by our children, we can be embittered by our friends, we can be embittered by circumstances, situations, whatever it is. Don't let the world embitter you. Don't let the world rob you of your joy. Be careful what you allow to get in your heart. Here, the heart was contaminated. Here, these priests. And these scribes, and they were the chief priests. They weren't just the priests. They were the head of authority, the heads of the priests that sought out. The word sought out means they premeditated. We're going to find out there's a premeditation to kill Jesus. They planned it. They were going to scheme up a plan. The scribes and the priests and everybody, even Herod, everybody came in cahoots to kill Jesus. You know the word iniquity? The Bible says, be careful you don't have iniquity in your heart. The word iniquity translated premeditated murder, or to premeditate. Means we know this is wrong, but we still do it. That's iniquity. Be careful we don't have iniquity in our hearts. And that's what's happening here. But Jesus turned the table. He stood up for righteousness. He spoke the truth. And it stirred up some people. This is the first, this is Monday morning. (laughs) We got another week to go. We got a couple more days to go, right? Palm Sunday, the next day, it's Monday. He's already stirring up the nest in Jerusalem. Now they're gonna be getting plot and the story continues. We'll get into that in two more weeks. So I leave you with this three thoughts, guys. We need to capture the fact that Jesus was our peace offering, our peace offering. He came as a donkey to offer peace. He's a king of peace peace. He's our peace offering. Number two, we need to capture the fact that Jesus wants to bear fruit, wants us to bear fruit. That we need to bear fruit. We need to the works that we have come from him. And number three, we need to capture the fact that we cannot miss the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church. Guys, we got to stay focused. I've been doing a sermon session, refocus on Sunday mornings. Stay focused on our purpose and our mission. Be careful we don't get distracted to the right or to the left. Don't be a double-minded man. Don't be tossed by everything that comes your way. Stay focused. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Amen? Amen? Father, heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. And Lord, I pray for your people tonight, Lord. And I ask your hand upon them, Lord, tonight. Father, that they may know who the true Jesus is. That the enemy has not ripped them off, has not lied to them, has not cheated them. But I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit to anoint them, to bless them tonight. Those that are here to bless them, to look over, Lord, that you would guard their heart and protect their heart from this place, from this world that can make us calloused. Lord, I pray your Spirit here. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never made that confession of faith. Maybe you're here tonight and you never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and maybe the Lord's spoken to you. If you're here tonight, you say, man, I just need that Jesus in my life. Just raise your hand. I can pray for you. Anybody? I see you in the back. Anybody else? I see you in the back. Anybody else? Just, man, I need the Jesus that Jesus to change my heart because I can't change it on my own. Anybody else? Father, in the name of Jesus, I, I pray for those that raise their hand in the back, Lord. you are just saying, Lord, fill me, Lord. Fill up my heart. Lord, I pray that you would fill up the hearts of these individuals that have said, yes, Lord, I need you tonight. I need you more than I can ever imagine, so I pray your spirit would just indwell them tonight, Lord, as they come faithfully. I pray your blessings upon them tonight. Lord, we thank you, we honor you, Lord, tonight. Father, now we're gonna break of communion, we're gonna break of the bread tonight to honor you. But Father, we know your word is powerful and it's alive, so we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.